Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. My guest today is an actress, voiceover artist, lecturer, and author of Real Tears, the Beverly Washburn Story, Take Two, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. For everything about Beverly Washburn, go to beverlywashburn.com. And Beverly, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Ira. How nice of you to invite me. This is exciting. It's going to be fun because we have a lot to talk about. And I have to start off because it's funny. One of the things that you're very well known for is a role in a movie that I have fond memories of. And I could not tell you the storyline at this point. But I remember very clearly seeing Old Yeller. Aww. <laughs> and yet, I, if you were to ask me what the storyline was, I'd say, you know what? I can't quite remember. But boy, it has always left a warm feeling in me. So I guess the first question I have out of the box is, is that your favorite movie that you were in or were there others? And what part did Old Yeller play in your subsequent career? Well, spoiler alert, Old Yeller gets shot in the end. So that, <laughs> oh, man. So I know, oh. I'm such an Now, Old Yeller, uh, it was a, a book by Fred Gibson and they turned it into a, a movie which has become a, a sort of an iconic film. It's known all over the world, and I am so grateful to be a part of it. Sadly, I'm the only person still alive from the entire movie. Last year, Tommy Kirk, who played Travis in it, and he's you know notoriously known for the one who has to shoot Old Yeller, he and I were scheduled to do an Old Yeller reunion, and sadly, he had a heart attack and passed away suddenly and so that ended that and and now there can't ever be a reunion because you can't have a reunion of one and it it feels so strange to me to be the only living person from that film and you are thriving and and you are working all the time and you're the one that's as you said you can't do a reunion with yourself so <laughs> it, it's an odd place to be but at the same time you had those experiences and you currently live in Las Vegas. You've lived in Hollywood, and we could talk about that, but you've lived, you live in Las Vegas, and you do a lot of stuff in Las Vegas. And your co-star also lived in Las Vegas, right? Yes, he did, Tommy Kirk. And we had been friends for 66 years, and he was the sweetest guy and pretty much a loner, but that was by choice. But he used to come over for dinner all the time, and that's a piece of my heart that's broken and always will be losing him. He was so loved and people know that he was gay. It was not a secret. And I was just absolutely inundated with emails from strangers. I don't even know how they got my email. I'm glad that they did. But all these emails came in after Tommy passed away saying that um, they were sending condolences to me because they knew how close we were. And also the fact that because of him, so many of these gay people were able to come out. And they said because they looked up to him and he was their kind of idol and mentor. And he was one of the special ones for sure. When you were growing up and working in Hollywood, did it strike you as an odd place at, at the time? Well, I was born and raised there. I was born at the Hollywood Presbyterian Hospital. So it's all I really knew. So it didn't seem odd to me. It seemed normal, really, because that's where I grew up and that's all I knew. 
And how did you start your career as a child actress? Did your parents push you into that, or you just decided on your own you wanted to to become an actor? Well, you know, when you're four years old, it's not like you can make decisions on your own. Because, But I was fortunate that I didn't have parents that pushed me into it. Sadly, you know, there's that old adage about Hollywood stage mothers that push their children into it and the child doesn't even want to be doing it and parents are living vicariously through them. And for me, that's very, that's a sad thing to even know about. But uh, I started modeling children's clothes at the age of four and my mother got me an agent and I, I had a very vivid imagination as a child. So I would play dress up and pretend that I was somebody else. So being an actress was just kind of an extension of, for me, it was fun. I felt like I was playing house. I was, you know, imagining to be somebody else. And so I got an agent and I went on countless auditions, but I never got any parts because I didn't have any experience. So as fate or whatever we want to call it stepped in, I was at the Long Beach Veterans Hospital with my older sister, who was an acrobat. She was entertaining the veterans, and Jock Mahoney was there. Now, Jock Mahoney, you'll remember as the Range Rider and Yancey Derringer, and he was this big, handsome cowboy. And we met, and I was mesmerized by him, and he was so dear. Well, a few months later, I happened to be on an audition at Columbia, and he happened to walk through the lobby and he remembered me and he was under contract Columbia at the time. So he had a bit of clout. So he went into the producers. We found this out later and said, Oh, this kid's great. She's done this. She's done that. I hadn't done a thing. (laughs) So actually, as the story goes, he lied. They (laughs) believed him and I got the part. And so once you have that, you know, that first credit under your belt, it's easier. It's such a catch 22 because They don't want to hire you if you don't have any experience. But how do you get that experience unless they hire you? So I was very fortunate that he went to bat for me, and that's how I got started. It's also that catch-22 where they don't want to hire you unless you're in the union, but you can't get in the union unless you have a part. Right. Yeah, I joined Screen Actors Guild in 1953. They didn't even require it at first. But then when I started doing these movie roles that were union, I had to join. So I've been a Screen Actors Guild member for 100 years, it feels like. (laughs) When you see yourself on screen, whether it's on a television screen or a theater screen, do you separate yourself from the image and so you see an actress performing or do you look at it and go, oh yeah, that's me acting as so-and-so? Well, I don't typically watch myself. It seems weird to watch myself. But of course, on the occasion when I've done podcasts or interviews, I'll see it. And of course, you know, being a typical woman, it's like, oh, I look terrible. Oh, I should have. <laughs> so, you know, that happens. But it's just fun for me. And I so appreciate that you contacted me to be on your show. I'm really flattered and honored. Well, thank you. You wrote your memoir, And it was called Real Tears, and it's R-E-E-L, Real Tears, the Beverly Washburn Story, Take Two. I like the Take Two part, uh, particularly. Just the title alone implies that there were troubled waters even in Hollywood. 
Well, actually, that title came about because, um, well, first of all, as you know, it's a little play on words because we don't even have reels, film reels in this day and age. Everything's, you know. Oh, I don't think it's a play on words. I think it's a nice historical reference. Well, thank you. Because when I started, everything was done on a film reel. And I got sort of known in the business as the little girl who could cry on cue. So just about every film I ever did, I would have to cry. And people would invariably say, how did you cry? Like, were those real? Or did they, you know, put stuff in your eye? Or how did that come about? And so that's, that's why the book is called Real Tears, because they were real, because I, for I don't know, I'm overly sensitive and emotional. My brother used to tease me and say, oh, you cry at supermarket openings. That's where you got the onion to make the tears come <laughs> at the supermarket. Well, you know, they have ways to make an actor cry if, if need be. The makeup person, can, if they want your eyes to be welled up with tears, they, I don't know, they blow something weird into your eyes to make them water. And if they want tears to be coming down your face, they have something Fortunately for me, I never had to do that because I could just cry. But it's something like glycerin, something sort of thick, the consistency that would show up on camera where they would put it in the corner of somebody's eyes and the tears would fall. So they have ways of, you know, making actors cry if they can't. But for me, I, I don't know. I just always was able to cry. Well, there was another way they made actors and actresses cry in those days, and that is for the director or the producer or the studio head to just say something awful to the child and cause tears to flow as well. Well, there's a famous story, and I'd like to think it's not even true, but there was a kid actor, and I believe it was Jackie Coogan or Jackie Cooper, and they wanted him to cry. And as the story goes, they said that the director told him that his dog had been hit by a car. And that, of course, made him cry. I think that's horrifying. Very horrifying. I mean, to do yes. that to a child, I think is not a nice thing to do. I mean, especially a little child that I don't, I'd like to think that's not a true story, but it's kind of a famous story that that's how they got him to cry. Just so you don't feel bad, I also get Jackie Cooper and Jackie Coogan mixed up in my head. I had a guest on recently where I said one and I meant the other or vice oh. versa. So that's, I think, pretty common. I was referring to the law they passed in California. So that's the Jackie Coogan law. Thank yeah. you. And I think I said Jackie Cooper law. So oh. <laughs> I don't mind admitting it when I'm wrong, which is so rare. But okay, never mind about that. So of all the movies that you've performed in and television shows as well, I have to narrow you down to your favorite. And it may not be because of the typical reason, meaning you enjoyed the cast, you enjoyed the impact the movie had. It may be just that to you, it meant something different than to others being in that film or television show. So that's a long way around to asking the question, what was your favorite movie or TV role? Well, honestly, it, it's hard for me to pin that down because I feel so fortunate that I got to work with so many legends, so many, you know, big movie stars and directors. I was directed by Cecil B. DeMille and George Stevens and Frank Capra. Although at the time I was so young, I didn't have a clue as to who they were. But of course, Old Yeller stands out because A, I'm a huge animal lover. And throughout working in Old Yeller, I've 
became acquainted with Sharon Baird, who was one of the original Mouseketeers. She and I are best friends and Tommy Kirk and, you know, establishing those kind of friendships and the fact that it's lasted for, you know, decades, I'm extremely grateful for. And being on the Disney lot was always fun. And getting cast by Walt Disney meant the world to me. And working with Old Yeller, he was a rescue dog. His real name was Spike, and they got him out of an animal shelter. So that was one of my favorites, because when you do a feature film, typically you'll work like three months, whereas a TV show, you can be in and out, you know, in one day or maybe four or five days. Like with Star Trek, that's a favorite because it still lives on. And after all these years, and I have to say the Trekkies and Trekkers are such loyal fans. They know every episode. They know every character. They even know your dialogue. And I, I get fan mail from all over the world in reference to Star Trek. And I only did one episode. So that was, that was really fun to do. And then, of course, Spider Baby, which has now become a cult film. And it's, it's going crazy right now. It's all over the Internet. They've got all this Spider Baby merchandise. And that was with Lon Chaney Jr., which was a thrill to work with him. There was also Lon Chaney Sr., so there were two right. Lon, Lon Chaney's. Can people contact you through your website? Not so much my website. It's not hooked up, but I do have email because as I know you're aware of that, I write a column, a monthly column for the Vegas Voice. And so my email is listed there. It's, it's bjriddell at hotmail.com. And the Vegas Voice is available online all over the world. So you just have to type in the Vegas Voice and it will go directly to my column, which is called Hollywood Memories. Are you still amazed about hearing from people all over the world about not necessarily a specific movie such as Old Yeller, but just your career and the fact that people know you from different aspects of your career? I'm flabbergasted, really. I mean, I'm not exactly a household name. People don't really know who Beverly Washburn is, but Typically, like if I'm out and somebody will introduce me, they don't have a clue who I am, but they might say, oh, she was the little girl in Old Yeller. And then the person that I'm being introduced to, they'll go, that was you. (laughs) You know, they don't put it together. So I'm just amazed when I get fan mail. I, I recently, I got one from Holland, from Hong Kong, from Slovenia, (laughs) Germany. I mean, they're all over the world. And it's very touching and rewarding. And I'm so grateful that people take the time. I mean, I don't feel like I'm a big deal. I've been blessed to have worked with a lot of people and and be in some iconic films, but I'm not like a big famous person. So when I get fan mail, that means a lot to me. It's really gratifying. And I appreciate that people will take the time to write. I mentioned in the introduction that among your other talents, you are a lecturer. So when you are called upon to lecture, I would imagine it it is fan organizations or fan meetings, fan conventions. It's been various, like retirement homes, people that want to know like the ins and outs of what happens. People aren't privy always to what happens that goes on behind the scenes. And uh, I do a little show with Jay Nagel is the host and it's called Beverly Washburn's Hollywood. And then it says, that was you. 
with like a question mark and an exclamation point, because that's typically the, the answer that I always seem to get when I'm introduced to somebody because they don't put two and two together like I was in Star Trek and then Old Yeller and Spider Baby and then all these TV shows like Wagon Train and Leave it to Beaver and all that. And, you know, as I said, I'm not a household name. And then typically they'll say, that was you. <laughs> I think if you want to be, in your words, a household name, maybe it should be Beverly iPad. What do you think? There you go. Yeah. I know. I'm, I'm not very good with anything technical. In fact, I'm amazed that I'm you're doing Zoom. very well. You're doing very well. I know I could do that. Thank you. <laughs> that was with your help. No problem. I heard that your favorite adult female co-star was Loretta Young. Yes. Tell oh, us a little bit about Loretta Young, because a lot of people of a certain age have no idea who Loretta Young was, and people of another age know exactly who Loretta Young was. So tell us your relationship with Loretta. Well, the demographics of people who do know people like that, I had somebody not know who Jack Benny was. And he's, I mean, in my eyes, he's a legend, he's an icon. And I worked with Loretta Young several times, and I knew her throughout adulthood. And she was just, I talk about her a lot in my book because I did the new Loretta Young show, which was a series. And it's, it's out on DVD now, but her son, Christopher, changed the name from the new Loretta Young show to Christine's Children. And I play one of the, her seven children. And she was just the dearest, sweetest lady. She was so beautiful inside and out. And I am just so honored that I, I was able to know her. And she would invite me over to dinner when my husband was dying from cancer. She would call me and she would send me little gifts. Like she sent me a little book on angels. She sent me a little crystal dove and just do thoughtful, sweet things like that. And she was my mentor. I looked up to her and I learned a lot from her. And clearly there was an age difference, but it just goes to show you that you can have a relationship with a person who is decades younger or older than you, and it still works because it's a certain, I think it's more a mind and an emotional bond than it is anything else. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I, I just feel so fortunate. And also I stayed in touch with Jack Benny up until the time of his passing. And he was such a gent, you know, so funny because he always played the stingy tightwad. And he was anything but. He was generous. He was thoughtful. And I, I just, I, I, sometimes I have to pinch myself and think how, how fortunate I, I am that I have these wonderful memories. And that's kind of what I talk about in my lecture series and also in my book and in my, my column, Hollywood Memories, The Vegas Voice. And with Jack Benny, the humor was in the pauses. I know. <laughs> Yeah, nobody oh. had his timing. No, no, it was great. Replicate any of the things. And, and he didn't even have to always have the punchline. Right. He could just do that famous expression and with his hand on his cheek. The pause and the look, those were the two things for Jack Manny, and he learned it Absolutely. at an early age. Right. Let's talk about a guest who has been on the show and what you've done with him, Greg Oppenheimer. Tell us about oh, that. Oh, I love Greg. Yes, his father, as you know, but maybe not all of your listeners know. His father was Jess Oppenheimer, who created I Love Lucy, and a very famous, iconic man. And Greg has such a fabulous sense of humor, and 
he and I are involved in REPS, which is the radio enthusiasts of Puget Sound, and also Spurred Back, which I always have to stop. It's the Society to Preserve and Enrich, let's say, radio and television. I don't know. It's a whole long thing. But we do radio reenactments of old radio shows. Like we're going to be doing My Friend Irma and a bunch of other shows that we do. And we have an audience and it's done in Seattle and also in Los Angeles. We'll be doing that. And so Greg typically goes there and he directs most of the shows and he's just a joy to work with. And he's the one who put up my little skit with Jack Benny, where I come up out of the audience and ask for his autograph. Did you see that one, Ira? I know of it. I haven't seen it yet. Oh. Yeah, it's, Greg and I uh, that talk about the, that, so I know oh, about did you? it. Yeah, yeah, he's the. I have him to thank for putting that up. I didn't even know it was available because it it was done live. You know, now they have the capability of like a little tape delay if something goes awry. But back in the days of live TV, it went on as you did it. There was no room for any errors, so it, it was. It, it's a pretty funny skit, but you have to be you know, in my age bracket to get any of the jokes because younger people wouldn't get the skit. In fact, I was so young, I didn't get any of the jokes <laughs> So you were, you, were, you were at the one end where you were too young to understand it. Then you were in a period of time where you could understand it, but other people don't understand it. Right, so it exactly. works out that way. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Right. What was, the, of all of the parts that you played, what was the most embarrassing thing that happened on a set, whether it's a movie set or a TV set that you can recall. And that would be funny that you would want to share. Well, I I guess I talk about some of it in my book. (laughs) I'm on the the infamous blooper reel of Star Trek. And it's so funny because (laughs) Trekkies, all the fans of Star Trek, they know everything. And when I do, they have Star Trek conventions all over, and I've done a few of them. And invariably, they'll come up to my table and they laugh because they're going, you're on the blooper reel. And I think, oh, my God, I didn't even know I'd make the blooper reel. I had forgotten my next line. And so anyway, (laughs) that was embarrassing. But fortunately, it was a really fun set and everybody had a great sense of humor. So everybody laughed as opposed to. But I was like so mortified that I forgot my next line. Were there any any cases of pratfalls or bumping into furniture on the set or anything like that? No, something did happen, not to me, but on a show. It wasn't really funny, but it was was not a good thing. It was a Playhouse 90, if you are familiar with that show. It It was was, on CBS for many years, yes. Yeah, we did it live at CBS. It was 90 minutes, and that's something when you think about it, to do a 90-minute show live and not have any problems, yeah. Yeah, and there was a problem, and fortunately, I'm grateful it wasn't my problem, but it was sad because it was a very highly respected TV show. It had great ratings, and people knew of Playhouse 90. It was a a good show. Very prestigious, very prestigious. Yes, and it was called In Lonely Expectation, and the show was about unwed mothers that we lived in a home, and each girl had their own storyline. So one of the actresses that was on it, her storyline is that during the course of the show, she has the baby. So during the rehearsal, she came down, she's carrying the supposed baby, but of course it's a doll wrapped in a blanket. So she comes downstairs 
and she was wearing spiked high heels. So the director said, I don't want you to wear those. It's too dangerous because you could trip. She said, no, it helps me getting into character. And he said, well, we're not going to see your feet. So it's not necessary. Well, she insisted. She said, no, I have to wear these. Well, they went round and round. And he said, no, you cannot wear those shoes. It's too iffy. This is a live show. She said, I'm not going to trip. Well, long story short, she said, okay, I won't. I won't wear them. So we did the dress rehearsal and she wasn't wearing them. Everything went great. Well, when we did the show, she came down the stairs and she was wearing them, even though she had said she wouldn't. And she did trip and the doll went flying. And this was a very, you know, prestigious show, as you said. And it was horrible. Luckily, the uh, cameraman was pretty quick and he turned the camera away quickly, but it was still couple of seconds too late. And it was horrible. I doubt that she ever even worked after that. Needless to say, the director was livid. And it was horrifying because they couldn't go back and correct it. It was live. It was on. Oh, yeah. Before I let you go, so we can end on an up note, what was the most enjoyable time you had on a set, either movie or TV? Oh, gosh, so many, Ira. I'm, I'm so lucky to have been working with so many people. Working with Lou Costello on Wagon Train was a true joy. The only dramatic role that he ever did, and it was called the Tobias Jones story on Wagon Train. And that was fabulous because I was a big fan of his. And working, of course, on Superman and the Mole Men was terrific because I yeah, you know, I was so young. I thought he was really Superman. Duh. <laughs> and I don't know. I, it just goes on and on. I got to work with Bing Crosby. And I, I'm just, it's hard to really say which one was the best. And I'm just grateful, so very grateful. And to all the people that write to me and appreciate things that I've done and thank me. And I always say, I feel it should be the other way around. I need to thank them because without people coming to, autograph shows or writing or going to movies or watching TV, actors would have no reason to do anything. So I think we all need to thank them. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been actress, voiceover artist, lecturer, and author of Real Tears, the Beverly Washburn story, take two available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and all the usual places. For everything about Beverly Washburn, go to beverlywashburn.com. And Beverly, thanks for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure, Ira. Thank you so, so much for inviting me. It's been really fun talking with you, and thanks to all the people who are listening. And join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.